Welcome to another edition of Zero Fucks Given. I'm Carson Block of Muddy Waters and Zeros. This is an empty chair that normally belongs to Krista DeLuca. She's sadly not with us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is a pillow that symbolizes Freddie, who usually <laughs> has to sit on top of it over there. So, so sitting in for Freddie without a pillow, because he's normal sized human being. Because he definitely has monkeypox, 100%. He's <laughs> sworn on to all of Blue Orca. Um, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no, thanks. It's not guys, it's me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, no, thank, thanks, for, thanks for, you know, like kneeling in for Freddie, sitting in for Krista. Kind of a weird um, way to put it, but okay. Yeah, I'm happy yeah, to be here, man. I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, you know, monkeypox can happen to anybody. It's, 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 just... it's, it's, it's uh, well, they're, they're going to change the name, right? Because in order to try to <laughs> yeah. get people to take it more seriously. <laughs> I mean, after you've had like coronavirus, already, you know, it's, it's right. like, you Cat, know. The cat's out of the bag to mix the metaphors, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but why'd you show up looking so stylish? Like, I have a problem with this, all right? You're dressed far better for this than I am. You won't partake. You won't imbibe. Which is kind of like a cardinal I, sin. I'm not like a thing. I'm not like a big weekday drinker. I think like I've got to work out later because we all do. Yeah, but I can't work out after I've no, after I mean, I've pounded a couple beers. Like the day will be, the day and productivity will be over. Yeah, I know, but it's the it's the thought at the beginning of the day that counts. That's yeah. what I've learned. Like if you get up and you're like, you know, here's my plan. I'm going to go work out at this time. Like. You know, you've done most of what you need to do as a, as a <laughs> responsible human being. You've invested the mental energy in it. You, you have. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, you're having kids soon, probably. So, you know, like, I guess once you have kids, you'll maybe start looking at the world Just more Just really like looking that. forward to daytime but, drinking a lot more. <laughs> that, that, and it's the intention that counts, right, yeah. when it comes to working out. Like, you, you, you were going to do it for most of the day. It's yeah. just got sidetracked. So, um, all right. Well, anyway, all seriousness, thank you for being here. Um you know, I think a good way to start off, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know this, but you, you used to be partners with somebody else. You had this firm um, called Glaucus Research. Yeah. And you guys were actually the first short activists in Japan, I think. I, you know, I don't know if that, we were very early for sure. I think Andrew Left might have done one Oh, One shit. You know what? In You're right. He did Japan the, like the robotic suit thing. The fake robotics company. Yeah. I think that he was early oh um, well, but that, we were i think like but that, that was a a i think this matters when you talk about japan but i think that that was you know it was a it was a company that was very peripheral in terms of like political importance or you know the financial markets which i think is likely more successful than our, our right foray. but the untold story of your guys activism okay like and this is what mm. i think nobody understood why you really did this your ulterior motivation so let me rewind. Kind of curious about this. Okay. Well, okay. So years ago, um, you, uh, Freddie, Matt, and I had dinner in San Francisco, your former partner, Matt, and you told this story. And the next day, Freddie and I came into the office and we realized just how truly fucked up we were <laughs> because we didn't react at the time. But the story was... <laughs> Something about how you had been in orphanage in Japan as a child, and they used to pluck your red hairs out yeah. and study it. So my grandparents uh, started an orphanage in, in southern Japan, which is still there today. Um, and it's a 
It's a phenomenal place. It's an incredible place. Not only their legacy, but growing up, my parents, as they want to do, if kids get annoying, they're like, okay, instead of shipping us off to summer camp, we got shipped off to the orphanage for a couple of weeks. And we loved it. It was, you know, it was a great place. Like we, you know, it was, it was just a wonderful, you know, it was a wonderful part of our family's legacy. We loved going to Japan. We still do. And, but the only thing that was unusual is a pretty rural part of Japan where it's located. And especially in the 80s when I was growing up, you know, they had never seen someone with red hair. Um, so kids would pluck my hair and then put it in like Ziploc bags to keep it <laughs> as a keepsake, which is a kid, it like felt a little weird, but maybe it didn't feel as weird as. But didn't it feel good then coming back after all those, all these years and being like, fuck you. This is what you get. Yeah, I mean, right. So it's a real mixed bag there because you get like, obviously teased a lot as a kid if you have red hair. It's like, you know, so all the times, you know, someone says In Japan or here? Here. In Japan, you're fucking God. Here, it's like fucking ginger piece of shit. Like, yeah. So, I felt a little bit good about that. Did the South Park guys create the whole thing about like gingers not having souls or- No, go to England. Or did you not really have souls before before that? We're fully sold up. We're fully- Really? Tanks tanks full. Tanks full. Okay. All right. 100%. But it's fun. My even my wife uses that sometimes, really. It's great. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah right on. Well, anyway, so that, that was my whole thing Thanks with, for bringing with back short activism. Memories of being bullied as a child. I really appreciate that. It's good no, you've, you've shown them all. Yeah, you, exactly. You've won. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Well, so you wanted to talk uh, some, you know, more, that was ancient history. You want well, to talk think, some recent Yeah, but I mean, here. like, you know, to, to, to finish up on the, to- the topic of Japanese activism, I think, you know, do you think that Japan is a, Japan obviously is in the news a lot recently. There's the return of the Widowmaker trade. There is this question of whether the Bank of Japan is going to be able to maintain yeah, the currency the, the, at 135. Right, whether they're already, basically going to be able to hold the yield curve where mm-hmm. it is or else, you know, and, you know, whether there's going to be political pressure for the currency to depreciate. They're coming up in an election. You know, there's rising food and energy costs. And you have a, it's a really politically sensitive topic because you have a domestic population that not only is shrinking, but has basically endured like 20 plus years of stagnation. This is, I mean, what are you guys modeling for inflation second half of the year in Japan? Um, obviously, that's proprietary. Um, my Jap- Japan macro guy is also out with monkeypox, so I don't, don't have that data right right here. So we, as I said last time, we don't take a ton of macro bets. And and usually when a short seller or someone who does fundamental analysis on companies starts spouting off about their macro predictions, that's, you know, to paraphrase Goring, that's when you reach for your gun. Well, <laughs> either that or that's when they just had their first, like, really big, successful yeah. short. Right. When you have your first really big successful trade in anything, you become an expert on everything overnight. Yes. It's amazing. Um, I recommend it. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because we've often looked at, you know, Japan as, you know, there's potential activist candidates because, you know, I think by and large, like the governance in Japan, it's a different type of, when governance breaks down, it's a different type of breakdown. I don't think that you get, you don't get like the, you know, the scourge of the Chinese and Hong Kong markets is basically companies that from the beginning are designed to be frauds and to defraud the capital market. I think in Japan, when you see misallocations between price and fundamental value, and especially short opportunities, on account of governance, I think it's often on account of either disappointment fraud, like where there's a business that's deteriorating and essentially they don't want to come clean about it to the markets or their shareholders or even sometimes their bosses. And and that's where the 
you know, that, that's a pretty good use case for activism, which is like a, you know, kind of a fresh, you know, here's a fresh dissenting opinion on something that's very liquid and well covered. And also, you know, the Japanese sell side market is sell side analysts are, you know, potentially even more incestuous and than than in the US, which yeah. is impressive. Yeah, that's hard to do. Now, I just want to be clear about one thing, though. Mm. I didn't actually really want to talk about activism in Japan. I was just trying to bring back your childhood trauma. Yeah, yeah, but we, you know, but now we've touched on something that's, but, yeah. but that's you know, that's because you, you know, it's because you fucked with me the other week on my Maui gym sunglasses. So dude, uh, those are brutal. That, that, no amount of my childhood boring is <laughs> bullying is going to bring back the fact that those Maui gym sunglasses are not cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a false equivalence. Uh, I mean, would you guys ever consider you've been, you guys have done an idea in Japan? Would you ever consider doing it again? Um, well, every now and then, when you look at it and you say, "Wow, liquid and right. easy to borrow, CDS, GC, um, lots of debt," usually. Yeah, we've done two things in Japan. I think so. Oh, we, have did, you? we did we did NIDAC. Yeah, 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 which you know, I mean, you want to talk about like the most, yeah, the the circumference of the. Japan analyst core actually exceeds that of the China analyst core, which is which I, I never yeah, thought yeah. I would witness in my life, but it does, especially with respect to Nidak and Nagamori Sun. And yeah. like this guy had a comic book, you know, made of himself, like not, you know, the man who shines brighter than the sun is the fucking title of this comic book. That's and he like shows him as like, cool. Yeah, it's like a little child who, you Isn't know, I mean, was that, awake that, like 25 hours a day, like helping his parents and getting straight A's and shit. Um, that's pretty cool. I mean, it, like, don't you? Want, I, I want a comic book like that about me. That'd be amazing. I don't know. It's really that hard to have one made about you. Like he had it made. I don't it's know. A, is it like? A, are the illustrations like, like interesting and good to look at? Have you guys have a copy? Well, they're, of well, they're like the Japanese. You know, like the you know one eye closed, like dude fist in the air, like flying. <laughs> you know, like that. Like it's it's all that shit, right? Like you could do that. You know, hair like you know flying. You know, flying out. Yeah, like, like that. manga, basically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Not hentai, which you're obviously familiar with, <laughs> which is different. Oh, that's the like the the filthy. Yeah, don't worry comments. about it. The uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Would you guys ever do? I thought that? that was like the ta- the temporary tattoo thing. Temporary tattoo thing. Oh, that's henna. Henna. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. That's not... Yeah. Uh, would you? I don't know. I mean, I don't think. So I, then, I think then the other one we did was yeah. Peptidrine, which oh. that, that one's you know like the airs come out of that yeah. quite a bit. Um, yeah, the problem is, you know, so when we when we were looking to do NIDAC and we went and started talking to PR firms, they were all no because of you guys. Because you guys had come out first and you had a PR firm and yeah. I guess that really boomeranged on them and uh, on the PR firm. Like we even, I think we started first with that PR firm and they're just like, ha ha. Uh, yeah. Uh, we I, apologize. I mean, I but, think uh, like, I think like the Japan is, an interest, is interesting from an activism case because you know, you have more than any market I've ever seen. Like I've seen markets where there's regulatory opposition to activism. I've seen markets where there's like essentially entrenched financial interests that prevent it. But like the there's a cultural entrenchment against activism, which is, I think, a really difficult like, but, we're, but we're talking it, short activism here, not long. But stuff. long activism is difficult there too. I mean, like well, Dan Loeb has done it well. Seth Fisher at Oasis has done it pretty well. Like, there's people that have broken into long activism in Japan, but I think even they'll tell you that it's a it's it's tough. Like, it takes a lot of investment. Um, and I think what's unusual about Japan as well is that their financial market participants are by and large Japanese speakers, and so that like your 
you know, this idea like Hong Kong of doing work and like basically, you know, all your diligence resources or a lot of them are in English. Like that's just not the case, which I think makes it. Well, it's a very retail market. Like, that's and a the, really retail that's, driven that's market. That's the thing with Pepto Dream. Yeah. So the, the chairman of Pepto Dream, I mean, we had photos of this where he used to do these road shows, pretty much had been to every prefecture in Japan, like speaking to rooms filled with retirees, like pitching right. the fucking stock. And um, I think he used to... Well, they massive savings rates, right? And, yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, it was just, it, it was so twisted um, with... No, I mean, like when CEOs going around and like pumping the stock to retirees. I mean, to me, that's like in person holding these big seminars. And, you know, you'd say, oh, a traditional pharmaceutical company is like an old it dump sounds, truck. And it sounds like a we Trump are, real we estate are, seminar or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Trump... <laughs> Trump would have learned a few things, right? From like Trump would have totally liked this. But uh, yeah. All right. So Japan, Japan. I think we, you know, everything everybody needs to know about Japan, we've just covered. Um, Fair enough. So uh, yeah, like you. Still my favorite place in the world, but okay. No, yeah. it's it. Well, it it is a great place. I uh, yeah. when I was in college, I I went to Tokyo. No, I wasn't Mr. Tokyo. Just. This chick told me she thought I was. But. Mr. Tokyo? What's... Well, they just like, it was Tokyo nights at Japan. The USC Japan club had the, they rented out. They, <laughs> it was supposed, to be, like, it was was, supposed to be a charity. I event. was Mr. Tokyo? Dude, I was, there, like... I, was, I was there to get laid. I mean, like, bottom line. And, okay. Well, the the woman who nominated me for Mr. Tokyo was, she was. Do you have to be like Swayze she, in she the was, she was, like, like, She was willing. Dancing? No? No. It had to be me. Well, it sounds like Mr. Tokyo, you have to wear like a no shirt and a bow tie or something like that. Dude, no. It, All right. It was, I mean, Do you, you have know. any pictures of Mr. Tokyo? We should like, you should put one on the. I might have had like a videotape back in the day, but. Yeah, it's probably not aged well. <laughs> <laughs> Age better than I have, but yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, don't want to talk about Japan. I think one thing that's interesting is Sonny Balwani's trials wrapping up. Um, I think that. You know, if for people that sort of follow this the space and follow, um, you know, financial fraud, especially in private markets or pre-IPO markets, I think that Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos has been a fascinating exercise in whether the rules of white-collar crime still essentially apply in America. And I think there was a lot of nihilism. Like, I, I think I've told this story before where I pulled my class that I teach at UT in the spring, and there was a uniform acknowledgement that even though she committed fraud, demonstrable fraud, that she would never be punished for it. And I don't know what that says about... What, what Has she been sentenced? She has not been sentenced. I believe okay. that she gets sentenced after after Sonny's trial. But my feeling is that Sonny is not only going to be convicted, but I, I think that he'll probably... He might even serve longer than her, which is... Well, I mean, she got pregnant, of course, while she was... Well, it shouldn't matter, but the... Yeah. You know, it will... But it's interesting that Sonny's trial coincides with, I mean, you know, and his defense strategy is essentially some variety of just blaming everything on her, which in fairness to him, even though he probably, I mean, if you've read some of the text messages, he comes across as like the least sympathetic defendant for some time. Well, her whole defense strategy was blaming everything on him. Even though she started committing fraud like well before he arrived, which was basically one of the big problems. And then and also like that just wasn't faithful, I think, to the evidence. But... Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the same week that he's basically going to get his conviction or, or acquittal, I guess, is going to come down is, is Martin Screlly's up. And Martin Screlly's starting to pop up again. 
he's he's I've already have two people email me his analysis on Cuban Mark Cuban's new drug company. Um, it's really good. The guy's really compelling. I think he's going to make a huge comeback. Um, and I think it's a really interesting dynamic. Like, you know, he obviously served five years, I believe, five years in federal prison. Um, what's interesting, though, is like you could argue that had he, I, I not argue, I mean, this is a question. Like, do, do you think that if he wasn't so deliberately a jerk, that he would have been? criminally prosecuted yeah well i mean that's an interesting because one because people didn't lose money i mean he definitely so he lied basically what he did was the, the fund had poor returns and he he lied about the returns but he paid people back with the proceeds of an investment that he used with the fund money now i do remember and it wasn't fraud but one of my favorite facts that came out early on was that he stuffed bamel like they lost 10 bucks <laughs> so like that's awesome yeah so like i'll always thank thank martin for that one i guess um but yeah um it's you know it it's interesting i mean he certainly had i mean he must have been the most politically clueless motherfucker in all of america when it's 2016 presidential yeah. election the one thing that both hillary clinton and Trump were talking about was prescription drug pricing. And he went on CNBC and just in this, with this completely bizarre affectation, defended as morally right what he was doing with, with uh, Turing. In his defense, by, but, other no, people he, were doing exactly no, 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 the no, same but, thing. But he yeah. didn't, like, he compared himself to Toyota Motors. And like McKinsey was, was helping sell op get people hooked on opioids. Like, well, okay, but if we're if we're at this, you know, if like, we're we're not doing if, relative, if, 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 we're, doing if relative we're doing this whataboutism, no, I mean, and, and obviously that wasn't why he was that wasn't you know why he was convicted, but it or, was why they went after him. Well, yeah. you know, he became I mean he became the poster child for it, and then look, he also did some pretty stupid shit there where he was on trial when he. Didn't he put out a bounty for somebody to give him a lock, like of, part Hillary of, a lock of Hillary Clinton's hair? Yeah, hair. Was, his bail was immediately revoked. And like, then, and then yeah. when he was in prison, he's running his company from prison. Like he's got, you know, a cell phone that I guess was smuggled in. And I mean, he's not the only guy doing that. But then he told this Wall Street Journal reporter, he bragged to the Journal reporter about how he was running his company from a cell phone. So of course that got taken away. So it, oh, do, yeah. do, like. I mean, Look, I'm not, this, this prison, not this exactly a great this, place. This doesn't go to culpability, but my point, my point being that there's some really odd judgment calls that this guy made. I mean, that doesn't go to whether he's intelligent or not. Um, I don't know. Should or people whether he knows be sentenced for being an asshole? Or should well, they be sentenced for the he, conduct that they do that violates the law? Well, okay, so, so a few weeks ago, after Bill Huang was indicted, um, I called up a lawyer who... Uh, specializes in um, stock manipulation. And I was going through the indictment and the SEC complaint as well. You know, and I honestly, like a lot of these things that are in there, I was I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't, think, I, don't I don't think and, he's going to get. Yeah, I agree. So I was like, I don't know. Like, this, you know, this doesn't seem to hold water to me. And I like I know in my bones, Bill Huang manipulated GSX, right? Like, you know, these. But, but so, so anyway, okay, I'm having yeah. this conversation with him. And, you know, he, I mean, he's, he's saying, look, I get what you're saying. You're not wrong. I think when you look at the t totality of circumstances, that looks like manipulation, blah, blah, blah. But then he finished with, he's like, but 
okay, let's be totally honest here. If Archegos didn't blow up, Bill Huang doesn't get indicted, okay? Like, he's indicted because he blew up. Now, similar to, I mean, it's basically, you know, similar to Enron or a lot of these, you know, like a lot of situations where, you know, it seems like it's only deemed bad because it was a shocking failure, but it wasn't bad or problematic until there was a shocking failure. I, I think you have to distinguish between instances in which the failure reveals the fraud and there's well, failure that co-occurs or may co-occur well, with fraud. Well, GSX, you know, we're all screaming from the top of our lungs. This is manipulation. Okay. This is manipulation. Can I make a counterpoint to that? And I know that you know GSX well. You're the primary victim of it getting rammed straight down Main Street. Um, Bill Wang was simply buying stock and he was trying to essentially corner the market on public equities. Like, is it manipulative? Like, he didn't lie about it. He didn't say, like, like GSX is a fantastic company that I'm going to take private or anything like that. He just, you know, for example, with Viacom, he just bought a bunch of Viacom. And whenever it looked like he had bought so much Viacom that it was about to come down, he went to his, he went to Credit Suisse and was like, yo, okay, I need more freaking Viacom. And they gave it to him. And like, so I would argue that his exit, he had no exit from this position because basically with a company like Viacom, you're going to, is even if you engineer a short squeeze, at some point you're going to jack the price up enough that they're just going to issue equity and you're going to get, you might get margin called. Like, is there any particular rule so, against that conduct? So look, there's, no, there's a lot to unpack there. And some of what you're saying are points that I brought up. So, you know, I think, so the, the philosophical, the idea behind manipulation is, you know, you're trading to impact the price of a stock when you don't believe it's worth that much. Okay, so it's, a, it's, it's not manipulative if you're buying a stock to keep a floor under it because there's a lot of selling, but you think it's worth this. But right. that, but that harkens back to an era of investing or what have you that no longer exists. Where this idea that everybody sits here and thinks like, oh, gee, you know, what, what's the fundamental value of this? You know, like, well, if I put a PE of but, ratio of this. So here's the thing. Okay. In today's markets, you know, far more than in the past, what determines the price is often technical factors. It's flows. Okay. So this is where I kind of have a problem with this idea that. You know, you're saying, well, he's buying it, even though he does. You know, he's not listening. So the DOJ and SEC are saying he stopped listening to his his analysts. Um, you know, who thought that these things were overvalued and that they should get out of them. He stopped holding research meetings. He was talking only with traders. It's like, well, yeah, but that's but, it's, but, it's irrelevant. Well, right? well, well, it is like, and it is like under it, under that under that old construct it, it, of you have to have a an idea. You have to have some idea of what the fundamental value is. And if it's trading well above that and you're buying it, then you must be manipulating maybe under that. But here's the thing. When you look at today's modern market and you say, okay, well, this all trades on flows. This thing is in these China indices, these education indices, you know, the, like the float is only this. Um, and you've got, you know, HFTs and algo traders out there. And so I don't know what the company would be worth if you sold this in a private equity transaction, but I'm telling you that as a public company, that stock should be a lot higher because of the technicals. See, that's what, to me, that's what this, that's, that's where this can kind of fall apart. Is this? So I, I have, a, okay, I think that that's, I think you're correct. 
I think you're absolutely correct. Like you can have a divergent view of what it's worth based on technicals and fundamentals. Neither the government nor the market nor society is or should be in the business of evaluating the reasonableness of good faith investment opinions. And, And I think with Bill Wang, there's fine, he may have stopped meeting with his research analysts, but it's not our job to... I don't think that we should be going retrospectively and saying, you know, were his beliefs that Viacom would trade for this level or what was the, you know, were these reasonable opinions? So, so yeah, I, this is, listen, I agree. I I think the Viacom, I think the XGSX stuff is thin. Right. GSX to me, when I haven't, you know, I didn't state this earlier, but what I think differentiates GSX, aside from the fact that it was an obvious fraud. And that it happened to you. (laughs) It happened to me, right. Was, Was that you had... Like you, you had this guy who used to work for Bill Huang, Tao Li of Tung Yue. So he's advisor one in Bill Huang's indictment. Right. Okay, so they, the, the DOJ laid out that there was already some coordination between the two. But, you know, I, if there were a lot more coordination than that in terms of when to buy, and at the same time you had this one, you know, asshole in Singapore named Tian who had this fun QQQ who was bragging about selling puts at the same time. Now, if these three guys were coordinating, you know, and this was all, and, and management was involved, because, my God, I remember when Shanghai, well, I, when I think, Shanghai yeah. Securities, like, picked up coverage if, with a strong buy, involved, it gapped up 25% that morning. that's different. There's well, no question. Even, but I would say. Even, even without, when okay. Shanghai Securities picked up, like, who the fuck are they, right? Like, who, like, who in America has cared? This, the market cap is already, like, 15, 20 billion. Shanghai Securities, which, whatever. Issues a strong buy recommendation, I think, on a Monday. Stock opens up 25% because there's a bunch of buying in the pre-market. Now, if that was coordinated, then that says to me, like, to me, that's manipulation. I I think with, like, I I don't know a lot of the details on that. Like, the indictment's pretty light on them. but It doesn't get into that. It doesn't get into that. Which is the disappointment to me. Everyone looked at Bill Wang and his use of credit and his use of swaps as, like, this is a this is something in the market which p- poses potentially systemic risk. And what's hilarious is that it's not as if the banks were making that much money doing it, no. which is incredible because you're like, wow, you Credit Suisse, you're almost, you know, you don't want to kick Credit Suisse again, but here goes. You don't want to bankrupt your company. <laughs> this week in over, Credit Suisse. Over like 15 million, you know, over a 15 million in fees on a swap account. But well, hang on. Well, if, 20, you, if, you, if you work at Credit Suisse, why would you care? It's not set up to make you care. Okay. So. Fair, fair enough. But I think like the, the question is, is I think what obviously was always going to happen was that the minute Bill, he stopped corner, or if he got the prices high enough that the companies were simply going to issue equity and that he would be margin called given the size of his positions. There was no, it wasn't a sophisticated operation. It was, I'm going to buy and it's going to go up. I don't see what the difference is between Bill Wang behaving in that way and and the millions of, of traders on Reddit or stock twits that every day, well, hold on, that every day are like, we should all buy um, shit coins or we should all buy, um, you know, whether it's GameStop or Bed Bath & Beyond. Those people have no real fundamental belief in the, I would argue, or tech, in, in the the long-term cash flows of the business as we currently understand it, but they would look to me and they say, you know, 
shut the fuck up, boomer. <laughs> like, even though I'm not a boomer, they'd be like, it doesn't matter. We're, you know, they would argue that they're investing on technical flows as well. And they have every right to buy a stock that they like, regardless of the quality of their reasonableness or the reasonableness of their analysis. I don't see much difference between them and Bill Wang. Well, and then let's And take, I think both should kind of be allowed in the, in the Well, let's market. go a level deeper. What about all the algo traders? See, I mean, does a computer have a good faith belief in what the value of something is? I mean, I bet you, especially like having traded some of these Chinese frauds over the past, you know, several years, I mean, some of these things are so obviously manipulated and it must be algorithmically, right? And so mm -hmm. I think not just in the China space, but outside of that, there's probably so much algorithmic manipulation of stocks or that if this was done by humans, they would say it's, it's manipulation. But the SEC has no fucking ability to parse the data, right? Like you, cause you know, here's, here's one of the things it's, it's an agency run by lawyers that tolerates oh. some accountants hanging out. You need, you need data analysts, like top flight I, I, data I analysts. I think they have data analysts, but like, I, I think mean, come on, like, like the dudes who go to work for Facebook, but you know, I mean, really? So you're going to work at, if you're, if you're really a great data analyst, you're going to go work at the SEC, which is run by lawyers that barely tolerates the accountants for No one even fraction. wants to come to work with me anymore because they can go to <laughs> fucking tech company and make a jillion dollars. Yeah. And, you I know, mean, like, hiring and finance has gotten demonstrably so, more so, difficult. So this is my year. point. So like you're, you're a fucking schmuck if you're out there manipulating stocks as a human instead of like buying a server and like loading up whatever you need to load up on that and manipulating stocks that way, because I feel like that goes on all day, every day, and it can't be stopped. And P.S., like, again, what's the manipulative intent of a computer, especially when it's AI, like, you know, machine learning. But that's precisely and, my argument, that, like, there's right. no difference between a, there's no difference between an algorithmic trading function and someone like Bill Wang who wants, or someone on Reddit who basically gets together with a bunch of people and they're like, we think that if we all buy this at the same time, it's going to go up. I, I would argue that like, we're not in the business of judging other people's, the reasonableness of their good faith investment opinions. If they want to engage, if, if he had lied, if he had, if he was, if management was in on it, I think that that's something different. But like, I, I think the change that needs to happen in the market is not like we need to police people like Bill Wang's ability to purchase um, stock. I think it's, that potentially there should be more rules around what sort of holistic disclosure you have to give to your brokers. Because that's where he, that's where he has said, that's where people argue and the government argues that he lied. Well, and that, that one's interesting to me because. But I'm not so sure there. Yeah, go well, ahead. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. Because the thing is, I mean, when you're dealing with, when you're dealing with counterparties and they say, you know, they don't, no, no hedge fund would say when they're like, hey, can you talk about your exposures? No hedge fund is saying like, well, this, we have, you know, this many shares of XYZ and this many shares of ABC, they give representative portfolios, right? And, and, yeah, the, and, right. The, and the banks know this, right? They're not, they know they're not getting actual data. And they talk about approximately this, you know, approximately that, you know, rough idea. And it seems like at the end of the day, and when I was talking to this one attorney, I mean, he felt that, um, he felt that the DOJ had a very strong case here in terms of, um, defrauding the banks. Now it's not bank fraud because these are the unregulated portions of the banks, yeah. but he felt that they had a strong case there. But at the end of the day, it must come down to this, like the Justice Potter Stewart, I know it when I see it kind of standard because it's like, well, 
you know, we're talking hypotheticals and approximations. And I guess if you're so far off the approximation, I know it when I see it, that's fraudulent. Which is the, tough. The, the, the banks are the most sophisticated, well, in theory, they're sophisticated financial Especially actors. Especially no more in Credit Suisse. They're, they're sophisticated financial actors. They did not have to extend him credit. Right. If they wanted, if they wanted to say, "Look, like I'm uncomfortable with your the disclosure that you've given me." So basically, when you read Wang's indictment, what's interesting is that they called them and they said, "Hey, what level of exposure do you have to something like Viacom or GSX?" And he would say, "Eight percent." And the government says that was a lie because in reality, it was a much higher percentage of the equity in your portfolio. However, well, I mean, he was talking about cap. Supposedly, he was talking about capital. Like he yeah, was talking about equity. His supposedly was, and he was way bigger than eight percent. His counter argument, which I think is totally fair, is that when someone asks me, I don't just say equity. I I give them. I could say my gross exposure is reasonable, and if a bank calls me and says. I didn't lie about the percentage of the gross exposure. They didn't specify. They didn't say what percentage of equity is it. And in fact, it was a very like casual conversation in which they would say, what, you know, how exposed are you? And I would give them a ballpark idea and that they would give me or extend my credit. Like, why are we protecting, you know, do, do we need new rules about this? No, and listen, like, I like the bank could just say, like, I'm not comfortable with that. Can I have more disclosure? No, I'm listen, I'm with you on the rules thing because this idea, the, these like, proposed rules fraud? for disclosure on swap. Well, here's the thing. If, you know, when I've, when I've debated these proposed swap disclosure rules, um, you know, people have said, well, they're needed because look at Bill Huang. It's like, well, are they needed? I mean, the guy's being indicted. Like, the, you know, so according to the government. Yeah, but the deterrence like, impact of an indictment, which he may or may not be, is severely limited, is, is, is vastly inferior to a a set of rules that actors in the financial markets can follow ahead of time. Prescriptive rule well, no, but those, those, Yeah, but those rules are not limiting. Those rules are not saying that- You don't want to legislate must... by criminal prosecution. You want to legislate by legislation. No, but, the, but the, what I'm saying is that the existing regime, if you look at the government's indictment and you believe that these allegations are true, that this is criminal conduct when he misrepresented the, his sizing, okay, then you say the system is sufficient because banks- without these rules that are basically gonna tax the fuck out of small hedge funds like yours and mine, like it's more bullshit that has to be done. And it's like, you know, every year there's more and more bullshit that gets piled on that, you know, makes it harder for us, you know, to like afford to be in business. If you, you know, you could say, well, the banks were doing an okay, the banks were doing fine. And the only reason that Bill Huang became Bill Huang here is because he, criminally misled the banks and that's why he's indicted that says to me we don't need no rule we don't need new rules <laughs> we don't need no, don't rules. Need no rules that the vast <laughs> majority life. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the vast majority of market participants are are communicating on it you know honestly enough with their counterparties bill huang is an outlier he's indicted why do we need to then, you know, impose new rules that once again just make it hard for small I, I asset agree. managers I to agree. like keep our, you know, heads above water. I, I think my my position would be I, I agree with that. I think that the solution is not is neither. I, I believe that his attorneys are going to say even among on the conduct alleged, this does not constitute criminal conduct. They're going to move for a motion to dismiss just on the facts as pleaded. 
And I think it's a close call whether that's whether it's not or not, whether he whether how the judge rules. But I think like, how do we prevent this type of systemic risk in the future? Like it wasn't he, systemic. So then what do we care? Like a guy made a stupid strategy. He lost a lot of money and he cost dumb banks that lent him money and didn't ask specific follow up yeah, I mean, questions. Goldman didn't lose money. So Goldman yeah. definitely didn't lose money. Yeah. They, those guys. Yeah. The, Jesus. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, they're like, they had a meeting and they were like, everybody, we're all agreed here. We're not going to liquidate his portfolio. And the dumb banks are like, oh, yeah, definitely. We're agreed. Yeah. They're like under the table and just doing it. Oh, yeah. No, the, the, which is also fine. I mean, that's yeah, smart. Look, man. If you're a Goldman shareholder, you're like, Bravo, sir. Yeah, and look, no, no more is going to no more. Credit Suisse <laughs> is going to credit Suisse. You know, like, so I think the easy the, solution is that's banks. That's kind of how it like, works. If banks are uncomfortable with how much credit they're extending someone, I think that they just ask for more portfolio level disclosure. They can easily just say to him, like, a, they could say we don't want to extend you any more credit, but b, they could say, look, we're we're happy to extend you a little more credit. We just need a, we just need portfolio level transparency. And if he had given them that, and then they had, they could have made a decision, but they really didn't ask. That would be my point. They didn't. Okay. They didn't ask. All right. Um, well, so, so let's let's you know move on to you know more crime and non-punishment here then, because mm-hmm. I want to talk about this past this week has brought the first and only story in crypto that I've ever thought is interesting. Guy gets laid. <laughs> Without paying for it. Yeah, that, that didn't happen. I was like, I would have seen that headline, first of all. <laughs> so, uh, shit, man. I'm like, I, I can't follow that. Um, no, okay. So, like, in all seriousness, the only thing that I have ever found interesting in crypto is the headline that, um, that FTX is talking about ways to buy Robinhood. Yeah. Okay, so here's, so here's why I find it interesting. This dude, Sam Bankman-Fried, I never heard of this guy like, you know, more than four or five months ago. But again, like I don't pay attention to crypto. It's all, you know, like the teachers in Charlie Brown going, you know, womp, womp, whenever somebody talks crypto. But did this dude just do a funding secured? Like, is this a funding secured moment? Because, because here, right, like he, so here's, so here's what I glean. In April, basically, the filing went uh, went up in May on May second. But in April, looks like he bought about six hundred, I think six hundred forty million dollars of Robinhood. I think he paid, if I remember correctly, nine sixty a share. Okay. Okay. Last Friday, Robinhood closed below eight dollars. So Monday, you know, Bloomberg breaks the story that FTX is deliberating as to how it could acquire Robinhood. And the stock, you know, Robinhood stock, straight up. You know, then towards the end of the day, Bankman Fried says, well, we haven't had direct MA discussions, but I respect them. And, you know, stock trades off a little bit, but it's way up versus where it had been. Now, Bloomberg in September of last year wrote an article and they said that Sam, Sam Bankman Fried is worth about $10 billion. Um, in other, April of this year. Sorry, September of last year. Okay, so that's September like of last year. Now half like, a billion today in crypto dollars. <laughs> right. So that's the thing. They said they, they they go the like so FTX was valued at thirty two billion in its last raise, which it really is raised it's raised one point seven billion dollars, most of which has come in the past eighteen months. Right. Um and so he owns, I think they said about fifty percent of it, supposedly. Then he's got this um Alameda research that I guess managed, looks like it's a prop trader of crypto and said, 
Alameda Research, Bloomberg Verified, has $13 billion of assets, almost all in Solana, um, as of September 21st of 2021, or either September, yeah, September 17th. 70 to 80%. About 75% since. Yeah. since. And plus, how much debt was there? Like, what was the net position? They didn't get into that. Mm. So I'm thinking that this dude, there's a good chance that all this, that like most of this guy's wealth was on paper. He got a loan to buy Robinhood. And now Robinhood stock takes a shit. And somebody's saying like, hey, the value of this is down. We need more cash. Mm. And he does his version of like funding secured. Uh, to yoke it back up. Now, I don't know that's the case, and a lot of this is speculation, but you know, if you're gonna, if you have any interest in acquiring something, the last thing you do is go and talk it up and talk about maybe acquiring it before you actually sign the fucking agreement, right? Mm. Like that's, you know, I mean, maybe somebody leaked it, but even the, I mean, it just, that, that smells to me. That seems to me like somebody has learned from the, you know, effectively unpunished Elon Musk, you know, how to just, Yoke stocks up when you need them to go up. The headline, something shady in crypto. (laughs) (laughs) Bleeds over into Robin Hood. Holy shit. Robin Hood. Well, you see what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to blame it on Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Come on, follow me there. That was like a five-minute, that was a five-minute meandering story to like blame something on Elon Musk. I actually, I, I don't know. Okay, I, I know I, you want. I know you want to talk about how many people in the world are circumcised. So, no, like, that's much better. Me. So let's. <laughs> Definitely. Um, the I, I can talk about the worst piece of advice that I recently gave someone, which is really, I think, kind of funny. If you don't want to talk about the markets anymore. No, I mean, we can talk about the circumcised thing because I, I do have something that you know light that I want to talk about before we get. Why don't to you that. talk about that? I, okay, I think so let's, let's just power right. through here. So yeah, I I want to talk about something pretty light. That. that <laughs> Okay. Ab- abortion. Fuck off. We're not doing that. And no, 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 no. In all seriousness, because listen. Yeah, I'm, you, I'm you also went, serious. You, you went to law school. Uh-huh. It's an overrated one, but it's Harvard. Uh-huh. So, you know, and. Notice and I'm it, not wearing a, my, a, my, my, my merch around the podcast. I'm, I'm dropping the CH bomb. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, you had an illustrious uh, career at the DOJ as a summer intern. Um, so, <laughs> so. But no, here, here's the thing. Like, let, let's not get in. It's not personal opinions on whether Dobbs is right or not. But because you're a lawyer and, you know, and also in our field, you know, a lot of what we've talked about so far really touches on this. You know, the rule of law, institutions in our country. I mean, this is the one thing. And I, I, I'm friends with some people who are hard right. It's not where I am on abortion. And I said to them, though, I was like, look, man. I kind of worry that the gates of hell have opened in the sense that you had three Supreme Court justices confirmed that who basically went through these confirmation hearings when asked about this and even privately in meetings with senators talking about stare decisis and, you know, making it sound like it's it's sacrosanct. And I don't know, man, like, does this bother you that SCOTUS, that, that this is how it happened? Does does it bother me? What do you mean? Does it bother me that? I mean, do do we have three justices who who lied during confirmation no, hearings? That's the AOC position. That's stupid. Okay, that's why? from someone who's bartender who's never had a real job. This is why I don't want to talk about this. Okay, no. This is like the third rail. No, no. The, I, I I think I think that Stare Decisis, the way that they would, the argument that they would make essentially 
is, is that in a case like Oberfelder, you have you have reliance on the contract, right? So like same-sex marriages, Oberfelder is the big decision, um, you know. And I think in the case like that, you have people that are organizing things like wills, estates. You're you're making uh, not only parenting or family planning decisions. Like in a case like that, stare decisis would be a prominent part of the analysis because you have a vast swath of American society that has made essentially meaningful life and economic choices based on that um, reliance, essentially. And 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 the and the you know undoing that right would be would have negative effects. So I think that would be the argument that stare decisis would be an important and large part of the analysis here. And I think their counter argument would be in. People argue whether this was legit or not, whether this was, you know, with whether Roe and Casey should have been given the same sort of prominence in the analysis. I don't know. I think that, like, I, I don't view it as the same. I don't view this narrative of, like, the justices, you know, lied during their confirmation hearings. But, I mean, when asked specifically about Roe, I mean, the answers were, look, stare decisis, it's precedent. I'm not... I, I've always thought that there were problems with how the Roe opinion was written. Okay, I'm not unsympathetic to the criticisms of the legal reasoning behind it. Okay, I'm not. But I guess the you know what I'm what I'm concerned about is that this basically says to states that have a fundamentally different view of how how Dobbs should have turned out, you can't trust this court. And I don't think we're too many steps away from you know, a like the California Supreme Court basically trying to, you know, effectively issuing a decision saying we're overruling SCOTUS precedent here because we don't think SCOTUS is a legitimate court. Really? I don't think we're you too think, far you away. Think that's going to happen. I don't think we're too far away. I'm that's, not. I'm not saying. Ridiculous. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But that's, this is. But that's. But so that's why I'm curious to hear judge, your judges care about institutions. Every generation, the court has opinions that established jurisprudence and that that judges find abhorrent and they enforce them all the time. I think there's people, we have devolved into a society of tribes and that society of tribes no longer respects the institutions and because they don't respect the outcomes of the institutions. I think that for me, the biggest takeaway always is the, the building blocks of society, the building blocks of you know, how we, not only just the constitution, but how we're organized in, in a way that that baseline institutional respect has just been lost on both sides, right? I mean, the January 6th thing is just crazy. And so I think that like, you know, the notion, that's why the leak, that's why the leak of the, that's why the leak is just like the abhorrent. biggest, abhorrent. And as a, as a clerk, like, you know, you have a, you know, that's, it is such a, it is such a position of trust and the circulation of judicial memos before they're published is such a key cog in the in the functioning of not only the judiciary, but also the good faith give and take between judges. Um, you know, anyone who's ever clerked for a circuit court or or a, an appeals court knows that, you know, there's there's negotiation. There's not just negotiation, but there's there's good faith discussion about about opinions and, and and when dissents and when opinions and concurrences are circulated, they really do change minds. They really do change positions. And people might argue that, and that the the functioning of that institution is basically reliant on trust and it's Ag- massively broken. Agree, but okay, even if you include so the, the notion that like California will like judges that have spent their entire life 
in will will all of a sudden no i don't think so now when those clerks grow up will they do it that's a different question but. okay so you so then you're not concerned that what you know, this this entire timeline on dobbs fundamentally alters society's relationship to scotus in a way that can effectively i mean fdr not, tried not, to pack the court with the with the when they when the when they um, eviscerated the new deal legislation and, and what happened was suddenly the court started ruling in favor of New Deal because they wanted to protect the institution. And I think John Roberts strongly wants to protect the institution, but you know, with the three most, you know, three most recently confirmed justices, I think, I mean, look, it, it's pretty obvious they were put there to overrule Roe, which is fine. I think if you go through your confirmation hearings and you say, when asked about Roe, I think that it was reasoned incorrectly. I don't, I've always had a problem with it. But when you go through and you just say, yeah, look, you know, I don't have an opinion. Um, stare decisis, stare decisis, stare decisis. And then, you know, here comes the pitch and you swing hard. I don't know, man. I think that that can, I think that that. I think it depends on what your, what your, your baseline assumptions for how the constitution and the law is interpreted by justices at that level. I think that, um, well, what's society's expectation? Like, what you know? If well, but society's expectation yeah. is generally wrong. Society's expectation is that there's there's this misconception that there is a that there are like I have problems with originalism in the sense that like you know the notion that every generation of people doesn't reinterpret the rules based in some ways upon their prevailing norms. That's how it actually works. Like, you know, that's why you know, despite having a bill of rights, we suspend habeas corpus or we put people in camps in World War II for Korematsu. I mean, this is judicial principles are subjugated to not only expediency, but prevailing norms all the time. And it's very rare that they're able to, the notion of the judge is like this, 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 um, you know, watcher on the hill, this like faithful, public servant that that is, you know, with its tome of the law and is, you know, protecting these principles from from the mobs. In theory, that's how we want it to work. But in practice, it doesn't. And I think that what people underestimate with Roe is how it never became a politically settled issue after Roe, mm -hmm. right? So it was like essentially a 50-50 split. And that was catalog that was calcified upon the ruling and those numbers in society haven't really changed that much over time and so i think what's interesting about that is you'd expect then like if 90 to 80 80 to 90 when i went to when i went to harvard um <laughs> i took the greatest class i've ever taken in law school which was michael Klarman's constitutional history and his specialty was in um civil rights it was in brown um but it was this, it was so good because it was just an entire exercise in subverting that dumb narrative, which exists not only among lawyers, but also the general population, that of just people that believe the justices are preserving fundamental rights and they're not basically ascribing what are sort of popular norms to, you know, to interpret like well, the document. And I well, see, I, I, I mean. I, I don't I don't agree with that statement right there where you you, you say people people believe that they are jurists um, whose judgments are independent of their personally held values. You know, like I, I don't think that, 
I, I certainly don't think that people believe that or expect that, but there's a difference between being a jurist and being a politician. And when you, you know, when you have a precedent that's settled for 50 years and okay, narrowed, you know, somewhat, but narrowed yet reaffirmed, and then you have this hyper political process that gets three justices confirmed, um, and they and they pay all the homage in the world when asked directly about this one case to stare decisis, and then they flatly reject stare decisis because they say it's you know because they say that it's uh, it was wrongly reasoned in the first place. The problem is like the courts don't have their own police force; they don't have a military; they can't make society. Like courts, you have separation courts of will courts will basically is enforced based on the by belief, the executive, by the executive based branch. on the belief that society has in the in the legitimacy of the court. Yeah, and that's my concern here that this was that this was such a step too. This is such a bridge too far that mm. I think we you know I I worry that this could have opened Pandora's box basically. In terms of really? states, it was it was this. It wasn't like the last ten, five years. On top on top of everything else, I mean, but, but this one. I mean, look, I'm not I'm not out there. You know, look, I'm I'm frankly pissed off when I, I see mean, those dude, protesters in LA trying to block freeways right. over this and, thing. And to me, it's the most asinine California shit. Liberal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I here's here's the one thing. You know, and this is I, I mean, I had like kind of a shouting match with my mother at dinner last night, oh, that's right? Classy. Over. <laughs> it was her birthday too, but over 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 this thing because you know she's like she's ranting about like the people on the right. I'm like, look, you know, and again, I don't I don't want this this discussion isn't about like what we personally think about abortion or what have you. But the one thing here that I that I say is on both sides, everybody agrees that infanticide is one of the most horrific crimes a person can commit. The question that we wrestle over is. What, you know, what is infanticide? Like, what is an infant, infant in this process? And nobody can convince the other side otherwise, right? Like, if I'm, you know, I will always think this is a, you know, a lump of cells, you know, where somebody who's, you know, uh, evangelical Christian believes it's life. I can't convince them otherwise. They can't convince me. And so the one thing that I think people have to keep in mind is that there is good faith on both sides of this, on the other side of this issue, on the Dobbs side of this issue, there is good faith. They think that they're prohibiting the murder of, you know, of babies. Sure. Like I, you know, and I, I, I it bothers but me like that we lose track of that. People who think differently than you has gone very much out of fashion. Well, and this, and the problem, and this is, this so gets I mean, back to my point. Media. This gets back to my point though, with I'm, I'm concerned that what has happened here in this process um, the Dobbs decision and, you know, the lead up to it, the confirmations, who was confirmed, how they were confirmed, et cetera. I don't know, man. I, I kind of feel like this could really hasten the unraveling of the rule of law in America because I do think the court managed to delegitimize itself and, you know, more so in blue states than in red states at this moment. But anyway, that was my, uh, my light topic of the day. Dude, so you like ambushed me with that. Th thing. Thank you for uh, indulging in it. Thanks, man. An unwilling passenger, ironically, in a conversation about yeah, but you know, abortion. Like, well, listen, was, man, you know, like you can. I, I, I can always to abort rely that conversation in its first trimester. I can always, <laughs> I can always rely on a Harvard guy to go to his Harvard, his Harvard material. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough, fair so. Enough.
you know, like for the rest of us who went to, you know, shit law school, it's not a shit law school, but who didn't go to Harvard. Um, my, you, you've enlightened my me. My best friend went to Chicago County. He's a classmate of yours, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is. A, we actually had some, uh, we had four interns from Chicago County. They were stellar. You had four interns this year? Yeah, this summer. They, they all just four left. of those fucking kids were from Chicago All four were from Chicago County. They were rock stars. Every single one. I mean, like, they were first awesome. Of all, okay. Okay. Hot my, take. My, my Harvard interns beat them in the <laughs> I, I race to find literally bad not, shit on I, social I, media. I, I get interns from the University of Texas. The, the, they're fantastic. Um, so Harvard I didn't Texas. know you had four. Yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of interns. It's a, it's a, that's a, but the program's already done. It's a, but where are the interns? Are they're gone? Well, it was one month. Yeah. Did internship last a month now? But you don't <laughs> learn anything enough, and like they're not useful. Oh, with me, they with month. me they learn a lot. No, I, yeah, I don't know exactly. about you, but uh, <laughs> you get a. Get them locked. I mean, in maybe some, you do things differently. Some nine-hour conversations about abortion. <laughs> what you learn in your internship? Well, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking fantastic. Um, I, 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 I do want to talk about. This is a great. This is a great segue because um, the worst advice. I thought worst advice. Go before this your is worst like, advice. This is just yeah. the hottest. I, I just had the hottest take. So, the University of Chicago Law School. Um, reached out to us and they said we'd like to you know our legal clinic would like to do, write a memo for you and, you and your firm and some of the issues that you guys encounter and i was like that sounds great they're like well it's a real you know it's a way for us to get um you know uh professional credit and it's a way for you know students to basically learn how the client relationship works and something to put on the resume and i was like fantastic love you chicago obviously um really really smart oh kids. that's right that was your uh undergrad. Your and they undergrad, did a yeah. fantastic job and they were, they were they were these kids were so sharp they were wonderful I loved it. It was great for everyone involved. One of the kids reaches out to me and he says, hey, I know you said that you'd always give this offer for advice. Um, you know, and I have and I, and, and I basically want some advice. And so like I'm, you know, the student was had a I believe he has a summer internship at Kirkland and Ellis the summer. And yeah, been his there, done plan, yeah, exactly. His plan was to go work in, he said, corporate, corporate and, and M&A. And he wanted advice about like how to think about his career and his career development path when he's doing that. And mind you, this is like a great kid. He's done great work. He's really excited about his path. And I just like, I don't know if it like caught me on the wrong day or like I hadn't like, so I, I write him back. And, and this is always my advice to people that are in this position, that they're in law school, which is, which you need to realize when you ask someone for advice that they are only going to give you, like they're going to give you the lesson that they have wished they had taken, right? It's is not like, very few people are like, you know what, let me like consider all the angles here. A lot of times it's like, here's like a really, here's something that I wish I had known. Um, so there's all sorts of heuristics that come into that and you're like incredibly biased. And one thing that I wish I had known is at the time my goal was to be, I really want to be a federal prosecutor. I went into the U.S. Attorney's Office. I really wanted to be a lawyer. And I thought that it would be a little bit like some combination of television. I don't know what you thought when you, when you did it or why you wanted to go, but that's really what I thought. And the practice of the law was was just like working at a big law firm was just brutal and I hated every second of it. It obviously wasn't for me. And I really wish that I had like considered, um, I, I was really path dependent. I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to go to the law firm because that's the opportunities that are here. The school's pushing you towards that. Um, you know, this, I, I really wish I had been entrepreneurial earlier on. Um, I really wish I had. It didn't, didn't take you that long. Yeah, but it didn't take me that long. But I look back on it as like, I really just was, I really wish that I had 
not, um, I, I wish I'd really questioned more that the, this notion that I idolized these professions and these jobs in which I had no idea because I, what the actual practice of the law would be like or what the actual experience was like. Because when I did it, I was like, holy fuck, I hate this. I like, hate it. And I think that I was pretty good about it. But like, I think a lot of people, because especially kids with a really set plan, they have a plan in life. And then, you know, when they, but they don't know, they haven't worked at an investment bank. They haven't like worked at a hedge fund. They haven't like been a lawyer or even they haven't been a doctor, a guy that we know, Joe Lawler, went to medical school. And, and, and then sometimes it's only when you actually get to start to do the practice of whatever it is you basically idolized and really were striving towards you realize or that you can have the realization that it's not really for you. Now that is by far the like most, the the softest, best interpretation of the advice that I gave this poor kid. I responded with like the hottest take ever, which was like, I reread it because this kid hadn't responded in like four days. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's kind of weird. I gave him like an advice email, like, his, you know, I wonder why. And I was like, oh, I better look what I said to him. <laughs> oh my God, it's so embarrassing. I have to like call this kid and apologize. It was like, you need to open yourself to the possibility that you don't know shit about your career and your plan. Like your type A, and he's like, you wanna be the best lawyer you can be. I was like, that is incorrect. Your desire to succeed, achieve, and do a good job will likely keep you down the bad path longer than you need to be. And it was just this like pogrom. It was like so embarrassing looking back on it. I wrote this kid like single space lines. It was like the Unabomber manifesto about how his choices were wrong. And I, you know, if he's watching, obviously. Like, no, but I, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure and that. he still hasn't responded. It's been like five days. He's well, probably like, dude, this guy's a dick. Well, I mean, that's wrong too, right? But no, it's I, not. I, it's, what, to, it, to not respond? Especially after you wrote a manifesto for him? Yeah, um, dude. It's, come on. It's not, okay. it's not a cool, not something I'm proud no, of. No, I, I don't know. I, 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 I take the other side of that. I mean, law, law is unique among those professions. And I figured this out when, so when I went to law school, I went to law school to be a better entrepreneur and investor. I specifically did not intend to be a lawyer. I enjoyed law school my first year a lot more than I thought I would. So I th okay, you know what? Let me practice for a little bit. That'll make me a better entrepreneur and investor. Um, so I did summer associate gig um, after my second year at Kirkland in Chicago and then Jones Day in Shanghai. And it was while I was at Kirkland in Chicago, it really hit home. So I, like, I'd been in an investment bank um, and the idea there, and this is back before the financial crisis. So sell side guys used to make like massive money after, you know, blah years when they got to MD. And the thing is though, their working hours tailed off. So you start out as an analyst, but that's a misnomer. You don't analyze shit. You just, yeah, you know, yeah. but, but your working hours tail off. So by the time you're an MD and you're making, you know, like seven, eight figs, you know, you're not, you're not working like shit hours. But I went into this one Kirkland Partners office one day and it really hit home. This guy, I don't know, he probably was in his 50s, but he looked like absolute shit, you know, just skin, <laughs> bags under his eyes. It's like pictures everywhere of him with his family, but it's always on vacation, right? It's not, you know, hey, here we are. He's like, got his Blackberry in the background. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, holy fuck, like this dude never sees the family except when he's on yeah. vacation. Like that's what these pictures tell me. And you know, he was making, you know, somewhere in like, I don't know, low, mid seven figures, you know, which 2004, you know, like, but, but I was thinking, see, unlike, unlike finance or 100%. most other fields, 
So your hours don't go, down don't go down in law. So law is unique in that regard. The other thing that was kind of interesting. But it's really difficult. Like I, I remember when I was a young lawyer, I had the same experience. I was working the night before Thanksgiving and I was like, you know, this is miserable. But if I was a, if I was in an investment bank or private equity firm, now I would be like, the hours are horrible, but I see I see down the hallway that basically like the hours in other professions like finance, the hours can get a lot better right. and you can make no, a lot more no, money. And, but in the law, no. like, dude, the night before Thanksgiving, every light in the place was on. No, this this one lawyer yeah. said to me as I was applying to law school, he's you know, and he didn't get that my plan was to not be a lawyer, but he said, here's the thing, you know, to go into law, you have to really enjoy, you really have to enjoy law because you're gonna yeah. work more hours and make less money than your clients do. And that can be a bitter pill. And, you know, he's, he's, he's 100% correct. So I, I don't think you gave the guy bad advice. I mean, the, the one thing that also always struck me about lawyers is, you know, so many of them are personally timid. I mean, a lot of them are, you know, pretty, you know, I mean, a lot of them are well, kind of, It's a risk-averse so, profession. Well, it selects well, that's a, for risk-aversion, that's, that's the right? thing. So when I went to Jones Day, Shanghai. I was there, you know, like a year and a half or so, not, not even a year and a half. I left to start my own business. So my colleagues at Jones Day former summer colleagues at Kirkland and Ellis. I mean, so many of them are like, wow, man, I really wish I could do that. Like I really, and I'm thinking the processing power of all of these people. I mean, these are smart people, smart people individually. Obviously. I mean, people smarter than I am. Like what's the difference between them and me? They the don't have Maui gym sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> it's much worse what they have, dude. They're rocking much worse shit, okay? I mean, you should see like some dudes had their fucking pants up to their nipples. Like I just, that was never me, but. But Sorry, like, what's saying. what's the difference? The difference is I did it. They didn't. Like, they were really smart people, and so that that really also hit home to me about the profession of law. Just yeah, the risk aversion on a personal level of the people who practice it. Um, I also did learn soon thereafter. I guess on that uh, Myers Briggs test, you know, the vast majority, a substantial majority of people in the U.S. Um, are extroverts versus being introverts. But law, at least when this data was collected. It's the only profession on that on that list which the majority were actually introverts. That's true. That's interesting. I mean, I it was true. Yeah. Oh. But I but I got to tell you, I've i like every day that goes by, I have more and more contempt for for that profession and just kind of like the legal system in general. So, I. Okay. It's you know. The. Uh, you get sued less than I do, so you don't you don't. You don't see what I see it's every Wednesday. day as Warren G. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, look, it certainly has problems, right? And uh, I, I think uh, the, uh, yeah. I mean, what are you running for political office here? Like, I don't know, but uh, okay. it's, you're not leaving with me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go back to the trying to trying to debate how many people in the world are circumcised? Like, I, I wasn't a debate. Well, I don't know. Like, I don't even know where we go from here. Well, um, that was your topic. You put it on the board. I, I, I don't. I, if, yeah, it's. We're not doing uh, no? Okay. I mean, I, I was curious to hear what your opening gamut on that was because I don't really have a view. <laughs> well, I, we, we, look, I don't want to spoil it if it's an interview How question. much time do you spend thinking about cock? I guess is what that <laughs> um, It's a function of how many hours I spend naked in front of the mirror, probably. <laughs> Looking for it? or <laughs> Yeah, something like that. I'm glad we got some dick jokes in today. I was hoping we would. Yeah, no, I mean, you know. You know. Just in case anyone was like, of the five people watching this, we're like, is this going to be a classy show? We're like, yeah, let's get some. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, we got to got to stay true to form. Yeah, this yeah. is a little more serious than it normally is. So. Yeah, because you like ambushed me with abortion. No, dude, yeah, it was, yeah. you, were, okay. you were on this, like you're, like you're taking the Japan activism thing 
Seriously, and I just want to talk about your hairs being plucked and studied by Japanese kids. Um, Seriously. Fair enough. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I know. Really appreciate it. Thanks for, you know, standing in for Freddie in, you know, in honor of Freddie (laughs) and in honor of Krista. So. Okay. Thanks, man. All right, man. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you.